Jordan Peele blurs the lines of horror and science fiction in one of the most anticipated films of the year, Nope. One of the four films we'll be reviewing this week on At The Multiplex. I'm Eric Weber, Editor-in-Chief of AwardsAce.com. And I'm Scott Menzel, founder of the Hollywood Critics Association. And our first film today is Nope. Bro, what'd you see? Something about the clouds. That's big. How big? Big. You think whatever killed Pops is out there? After random objects begin falling from the sky, which results in the death of their father, OJ and Emerald Haywood, played by Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, attempt to capture video evidence of a UFO with the help of a tech salesman and a documentary filmmaker. Nope is a film that takes some big swings and has a lot of interesting ideas, but Peel's vision never feels fully realized. There is a lot of buildup, including a subplot involving a monkey that is incredibly intriguing yet doesn't really go anywhere. The film starts off strong, but by the halfway mark, it begins to lose steam. The film lacks character development, and the audience is not really given a real reason to care about these characters, despite Kiki and Daniel giving the material their all. Sure, Nope gets some points for being original, and it looks and sounds great. But sadly, most Hollywood blockbusters nowadays do. I really wanted to love Nope, but unfortunately, despite it being very ambitious, it's sadly a slight miss from me. For me, it's a hit. I mean, this is a film technically, you know how I value films. It's it's always, for me, number one is tech, okay? So when you look at, start with cinematography here, right? With what Hoyt is doing and the vision, certainly in IMAX, if this is a film that you want to see on a big screen, this is the one. I think that Hoyt, in his cinematography in this, is lights out, okay? And also sound design alone. Okay, when they actually, what happens with the UFO, without getting into spoilers, when we get to that point and the sound's moving all over the theater, there are speakers that I didn't even know existed, right, in this place. This is designed for the big screen. It's very vital that you see this film as big and as loud as you can. Now, I will give you this. The screenplay doesn't always come together the way that you're looking for. It doesn't mesh as well at the end as I was hoping. But from a filmmaking perspective, Jordan Peele continues to impress and to grow, most importantly, in scope for me. This film, and I know you have to agree with this, feels massive. Yes. Yes, it does. I I agree with you that it feels massive. But the problem with it is, is the story. The story never fully comes together. I really struggled watching this movie because I wasn't given a reason to care. It jumps around so much. It reminds me of an artist who had a bunch of ideas and they had a bunch of paint colors and they threw it on a canvas and they were like, look, there it is. There's just so much of this movie that does not feel developed. There's ideas, big ideas, big swings, but it just never becomes fully realized. But here's here's the thing. Ambition is always something we should celebrate, right? And I think what Jordan Peele is doing now with Get Out, Us, and now we have Nope, you're seeing a filmmaker that is wildly ambitious. Now, does it get the better of him at times? Yes. But again, I'd rather sit through a film that challenges me and makes me curious throughout then something that I know, and we're going to talk about a film here shortly, that is very much, I know what's going to happen from point to point to point the whole way through. With Nope, I didn't. And for me, that is essential as someone who loves film. This is that film that delivers that constant curiosity. And my fear, my fear with this is really the fact that we're going to keep giving Jordan Peele a pass 
every time because he's doing something more and more grander in scale. It's more ambitious. He's, he's becoming a Hollywood filmmaker now, right? That's, that's the difference is that when he started off with Get Out, he was doing something that was small. No one knew that was going to be a hit. No one knew. And I was at Sundance and I remember the reaction. And then it took off and it went from Sundance to the Oscars. People, that movie was nominated for an Oscar. And with us, I feel like there was a letdown in the third act. This movie, same thing, but I feel like the letdown is even worse this time around. See, that's a tr- for me, if I were to rank the Jordan Peele films, for me, right now, it's Nope 1, Us 2, and Get Out 3. And again, I for the ambition alone of this film, and I think one important thing about Nope that has to be absolutely stated is the fact that this is, I think, for Peele, as literal as it gets in his films, this is the most accessible from a, there's not a big twist here, right? What happens in the film actually happens. We don't have some esoteric take on something. And I think that's important. And another reason why this film's really going to work with the average moviegoer more than his last two films. Oh, I completely disagree with that. I actually think this is going to be the most jarring film for moviegoers because they build upon so many different ideas very early on, you start, the movie opens up oh, like I, on a Hollywood I, 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 set. And you're I like agree. sitting there going like, it's, okay, where does this tie into? I, and then it, but it does, does that, that lead to your curiosity? Does that not just, that was the first thing. It does until you get to the halfway mark. <laughs> and then it's just kind of like, where are we going? And then it's just like, oh, there is no twist here. It's literally just what you think it's going to be from the trailers. We're going to have to agree to disagree. But ultimately, I think this is a tech play for me. And it works enough as a story. But for you, clearly not enough. No. It doesn't wrap up enough. And I understand that. No, no, it, it's funny because there's there's already this buzz about Oscars with this. The the only thing that this is going to get nominated for Oscar-wise is going to be sound or cinematography. Our next film is The Gray Man, Netflix's priciest film to date. 200 million bucks for this star-studded dud by the Russo brothers. That's Ryan Gosling as the Gray Man, a covert CIA operative being hunted by the maniacal Chris Evans, his mustache serving to demonstrate just how loony his character is. Ana de Armas tags along as the third wheel in this over-directed, hyper-edited mess that had me struggling to decipher what the heck was happening as Gosling, Evans, and de Armas go round and round in overblown action set pieces across the globe. The Russos have now proven after this and last year's Cherry that giving them carte blanche is not necessarily a wise move as both films suffer greatly from mind-numbing overproduction. Now, when the Russos have someone looking over the shoulder, like, say, Marvel's Kevin Feige, you look at Infinity War, or my favorite MCU film of all time, Endgame, you're talking about quality filmmaking. But absent that, watch out. You get a film like The Gray Man, which will very easily end up on my worst films of 2022. Oh, yeah. It's a total miss for me as well. Remember when we saw this at the premiere, I got up halfway through it and I texted you and I said, I am so bored. It is. This movie is so boring. You get an hour of buildup. It jumps around. Back, forth, back and forth. We're in this location. We're in that location. Back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. All of the characters, so bland, so boring, so basic. 
And I got to give credit to Ryan Gosling because he's the only one in this movie who kind of comes out without any problem. The rest of them are just embarrassingly bad. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, it's really Gosling that comes out glowing from this. I mean, if you won't even call it glowing, because yeah. frankly, at this point, we're talking about a film where the Russos are now devolving, right? They're going backward in evolution from what we really want to see from filmmakers. At this point, as harsh as this sounds, if I'm a studio, I have a very hard time greenlighting a Russo brother project that doesn't have oversight over them. Like I said, with Kevin Feige, you, they really need that because if they're left alone, we end up with this. And it's just such a disappointment because you have all the elements to make something good. And it's just not that. What's, what's really problematic about this movie is we just talked about Nope, which is so ambitious. And I feel like this is ambitious for an action movie, mm -hmm. but like Michael Bay level ambitious where, like, you've seen this all so many times before. Yeah. There's nothing fresh or new about these action sequences. And when I see how much Netflix pays for this movie, you kind of watch it on the big screen. You're like, where did that budget go? Things look so fake. There's so much CGI. It's a mess. It's a really big mess. And all of the storylines, like, again, you're not given any reason to care. Action without any depth to it is boring. That's what makes the Marvel movie so good. And indecipherable. I mean, the edits in this film oh. are so much. I mean, literally, it's one thing if you have 10 takes of a scene from different angles, right? It doesn't mean you have to use all 10 within 10 seconds. I am literally lost watching the film, especially if you're close to the screen and you're trying to... It, it's really almost... I would say it's unwatchable. It's to a point where, you know, you can have 10 different angles from a scene, right? And we can do that. And certainly as a filmmaker, it's probably wise to cover your ass. But you don't want to see all 10 shots in 10 seconds. Are you talking about the airplane scene? <laughs> Name like one. I have no, I, no, the airplane scene it's, was it's, like one of the worst I, edited shots of any movie that I've seen this couldn't year. Couldn't agree more. It's like, what is going on here? It's like, boom, boom, boom. He's like, he's flying up in the air. Someone else is kicking. Something's going up here. What is happening right now? What am I watching? And again, from a streaming point of view, maybe watching this at home on a 50-inch TV won't look as bad. No, but it, on the big screen, you're like, what am I watching? And everything looks like it's so fake. It just looks like it was shot in like a studio somewhere, and then someone poorly came in with bad green screen. Here, for, so for $200 million, we're left to assume that $190 million of it went to the stars. I mean, I agree with you. That's I mean, and, and they're not even in it that much, right? No. It's like, did they give it all to Ryan Gosling? Did he make more money than any actor on the planet in I, this movie? I would love to see the budget on this film, but there's, I mean, we can agree. This is one of the worst films of the year, and it'll definitely be there at the end of the year. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. Netflix, Netflix just can't win. Up next, Where the Crawdads Sing which is based on a wildly popular novel of the same name. I mean, they laughed at me. They left me. They harassed me. They attacked me. You want me to beg for my life? I don't have it in me. I won't. While the marketing of this movie made me feel very little interest in seeing it, I was very pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it. It feels like a throwback to movies released in the late 90s, early 2000s. Daisy Edgar Jones was very easy to root for, and I felt like she really elevated the source material. She makes for a very complex character who is not only headstrong, but resourceful. I enjoyed how she played this character as someone who, against the odds being constantly set against her, she continuously moved forward and wasn't looking for a pity party. 
Director Olivia Newman does a really great job of balancing the tone between the drama and the mysterious elements. She managed to make a film that has some sweet moments, but at the same time was also filled with scenes that were engaging and compelling. Where the Crawdads Sing might not be the best film of the year, but with a summer filled with so many blockbusters, a film like this was a refreshing change of pace. For me, it's a hit. I agree with you. It's a hit for me, too. And I did not expect to be in the space like you very much. When I'm listening to you talk about the film, this is my exact reaction. I didn't know if I wanted to see Where the Crawdads Sing. And I'm sitting there going, wait a second. I am engaged with what this film is doing and the story it's telling. And it really comes back to Daisy, the strength of Daisy. Certainly direction here is very solid. It's not an easy story to tell, but yet is done so. And it's one of these films that you come into not expecting much and you get far more out of it than you anticipated. Oh, I completely agree. I always get nervous whenever a film's marketing is like, highlighting a music number that's in it. So Taylor Swift has a song in this, and then like all the marketing is like, oh, featuring a new song from Taylor Swift. So I'm like, oh, no, this is not going to be a good movie. And really, it, it, this all falls on Daisy. She's pretty much in every single shot of this movie, mm -hmm. and she elevates it in every way. She goes from having these really sincere moments where she's being abused and feeling like she doesn't connect with the outside world to then falling in love to then having to go to this court case. And it's all so compelling. I really give her a lot of credit for what she did. And it is part court drama, right? Yes. It's got, again, all those elements. And I think all of it's done at a exceptional i'll say a little bit low listen this is a good film i don't think it's a great film no, i think we both no, can agree on that right. but again uh, for a film to come out here out of nowhere that we really had no anticipation for we were kind of just like here comes where the crawdad sings uh, and then we come out of it and it's a solid hit for me and i recommend it for people for just the simplicity simple nature of this is that we don't know where the story's going to go and i think that is something that should be celebrated very much like we go back to my first film that we discussed today for me nope works for me that way not so much for you but again the element of surprise is something that will always work for me yeah and i have to say that the reason this works is because it feels very simplistic right it's not something that's very convoluted there's not like a whole lot of high stakes it's just a very simple story of like this girl who was abused and because she was abused she kind of lived her life as a hermit she stood away from everyone and then one day she kind of gets enough strength to go back into town. She interacts with people. She makes friends with people in town. She falls in love and then something happens. And then it's just a natural progression. It's like a story about life. And I think it's so simple. And I think that's why it works because I, I want to also mention like a Top Gun Maverick, right? It's not overproduced. It's, it's a very simple story. And this in a lot of ways kind of reminds me of the similar formula. And I love the end. The ending of this film, oh, yeah. especially if you're not familiar with the book, oh, yeah. what a whopper of an ending. Again, very surprised that we both are on the same page here with the hit. Our final film this week comes from Focus Features, an incredibly consistent studio when it comes to quality, although this film is of a lesser class. It's Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. No, love, that will be a tragedy. You can't allow that to happen. Well, I, I have an idea, but it requires 
a new way of thinking. That's Leslie Manville as Mrs. Harris, a widowed housekeeper who longs for some excitement in her dull, drab life and sets her sights on a dazzling Christian Dior dress, even if that means having to trek from London to Paris to nab the garment. Along the way, Mrs. Harris meets all sorts of characters who far too conveniently help her obtain her dream gown, the film's laundry list of coincidences lessening the story's believability. Saccharin to the max, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris feels phony, like a cheap knockoff of designer goods. While Manville is undeniably charming, this is a miss, unfortunately, because it all feels so phony. Well, I have to say that I completely disagree with you on this one. This is a movie that is just sweet. It's a sweet movie. It's a movie that reminds you of films from the 60s and the 50s. You're not supposed to dig into this the way that you're digging into it. It's supposed to be for older audiences. It's supposed to be a heartwarming tale. It's supposed to be charming. This is not Nope here, Eric. This is a movie that is made for audiences who just like a nice story and nice characters. I understand all that, but even in that whole, as you just laid out, if you look at it through that lens, okay, it still has to feel like these are real characters that everything isn't contrived. And that's the problem with this film is that you tell me when you watch this film at the very beginning of the film that you didn't know exactly how A was going to end, okay? And B, not just that, because that's one thing. We all know it's going to end on, a, on an up, right? But every single character in this film, you know exactly how their arc's going to go, who they're going to end up with, and where they're going to be in that final frame. And that shouldn't be telegraphed to that level. I disagree. And the reason why is because this movie is not made to be any big movie. This is literally made as a throwback. It's made the same audience that likes Downtown Abbey. This is who this movie's made for. I understand what you're saying. I'm just telling you that this is just feels phony throughout. And I think there's a way to, first of all, eliminate some characters here. You can agree. There's so many characters, especially let's just go with the model in this show, sure, right? Sure. There's really no reason for her to exist. But I think when, when you start having all the characters conveniently, perfectly work in her favor, Mrs. Harris's favor, to get the dress to a point where you just start to roll your eyes around in your head that it all works out too conveniently i wish that there were more stumbling blocks more obstacles on our way to the dress and i just wish i didn't know a precisely where everyone was going to be at the end of this film i, I understand that but it's made <laughs> from a point <laughs> we, of view we're not going to existing <laughs> from a different time period this is not like, this is literally, you have to look at this movie as though it was made in the 50s or 60s it's not a movie that was made for today it's not. It's a throwback. I understand everything you're saying. I'm just telling you, it absolutely doesn't work for me. Whether it was made in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, or 2022, this is a film that does not work because all of it feels contrived. Thank you for watching at the Multiplex. Please like, comment, and share this video. We're back in two weeks with the last big film of summer, Brad Pitt's Bullet Train. And until next time, we'll see you at the Multiplex. Multiplex.